0: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. This week on Routine Checkup, we are joined by Tom Bennett, a master tailor who also happens to live with autism. Let's talk about it. Right, guys, um, I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation because not only are we going to be talking about autism, which I'm, I'm excited to dive into, and, uh, and perhaps ADHD, which I'm sure, Brian, you're going to be excited to dive into, but we're also going to be talking about garments and tailoring, and I'm, I am stoked to talk about that shit because I, I have this like, slight fascination with tailoring. I think it's a ... I feel like it's a ... I feel like over here in Canada it's kind of like a a dying art.
3: I mean, it's not something that like I like ever... When was the last time you had a suit tailored? Okay, well you know? when we had that big event, the when we threw when we hosted Sick Wish yes, in twenty nineteen yes. years ago, yes. Twenty eighteen maybe. Uh I got a I got a uh I got a blazer at like a tux like a tuxedo blazer at Zara and it didn't <laughs> and it didn't fit. Oh, oh, and God. it didn't fit. At all, I mean, it it looked like it looked. like I was looking at it, going, "Oh, that's 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 a great jacket." I can't believe that's that that's for sale. Thirty (laughs) dollars. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like stupid cheap. Uh, Yeah. So I took that jacket and I went and had it tailored. Oh, okay. And
0: which cost fifty dollars.
3: Yeah, it cost more than yeah, it cost more than than the jacket did. And I and I remember thinking to myself at the time, I need to get everything tailored. Because I feel so wonderful it, it, in this, it, like this fits me. It's a good feeling. In so, this fits me so perfectly at right. every junction of my body.
1: The only time I ever had anything specifically tailored was for my wedding, and uh, and again, felt like a fucking million bucks wearing the suit that I had tailored for me. Um, although I will say I didn't buy the jacket at Zara; I bought it at a at a at a reputable, fashion-forward men's.
3: <laughs> Men's Warehouse. Warehouse.
1: <laughs> Mark's Work Warehouse. Um, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm blushing. I'm sweating. I'm a little bit embarrassed because um, because of what Taylor just said and admitted to uh, our guest today that you bought a suit from Zara and had it tailored <laughs> because we were sitting down with Mr. Tom Bennett, who happens to be a master tailor from England, um, an English ultra bespoke master tailor who is steeped in the tradition and philosophy of Savile Row, which I'm kind of curious about that, but before we get into it, Tom, please take the mic. Introduce yourself to our listeners. Give your give us a little bit of um a, a bit of a sense of who
2: Tom Bennett really is. Um yeah, hi guys, uh, great to be here. Uh, yeah, well, um, to start with, Samuel Row is the home of of tailoring worldwide, really, in, in the eyes of an Englishman. Uh, okay. It's Only the home of English tailoring. I mean, the Napoleons might think a little bit differently, and the Romans might think a little bit differently, but you know, and, and half the rest of Italy might feel a bit differently about that as well. But you know, English tailoring is Savile Row is the home. Um, and uh, my um, my great uncle started uh, one of the oldest Savile Row tailoring houses. Um, and so I've kind of been brought up in the, the whole thing of it, you know. So, um, so- I'm Tom, can Sorry. I just jump
0: in there really quick and and ask? I'm so curious. About- can he can he just
3: interrupt you in the middle of your
0: introduction? <laughs> introduction
3: to yourself?
0: No, I know, But I want You're I want you. to ask a question about Savile Row. Um, I'm curious, like what's Maybe what's it-
1: after he's introduced himself, Brian? <laughs>
0: okay, Tom, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, never mind. I I, no, you I don't have to know what I was now. doing. It, go, no.
2: Please go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Uh, no fun. You know, far, far away. You know, it's clearly, it's informal, so that's fine. Uh, no, it, uh, it's absolutely fine. So, uh, and I live in Bristol, which is in the west country of England or the UK, um, where uh, in the old days a lot of ships would have left to come to the New World, mm. uh, where you guys are. So, um, you know, it's a lovely place, Bristol. We're just celebrating our. 650th anniversary of becoming a city, uh, this, this week, this year. That's oh, a lot That's a long time
1: compared yeah. to, uh, yeah. th- this city over here. Yeah. So, uh, so that's
2: good. I noticed a friend of mine's a street artist. I noticed he's been painting stuff around Bristol, um, in the last few, few weeks. So that's been interesting. I can remember Bristol 600, which is really bad because it makes me feel really old now. Ah. <laughs> it's just a year ago, seven, you know, and, uh, and yeah, so I kind of live here with my dog Derek, who's a German shepherd. Um, and uh, the ultra bespoke part of it is really because I hand sew everything. I've got a machine, but it sits in the corner collecting dust. But I, everything I do is particularly hand sewing with a thimble. I've always got my thimble on my finger. Uh, wow. I'm quite fidgety, so I like to have something I can fidget with. <laughs> and so I tend to fidget with my thimble, whether it's on upside down or not, as it is at the moment. That wow, makes, that's that makes incredible. Lots of sense. Yes, that's yeah, really right. cool. Yeah, wow, with your hands. That is
3: wow. Because, okay. like, you would think that, because, because, like, because I guess, like, it, it, hold on, Brian. Hold on, Taylor. It, Brian it, has a question. It, e- yeah. Even, yeah. even, uh, even using a machine See. would be, even using a machine <laughs> would be probably be, be considered by, and I, I mean, you know, by like mass production like, standards. Yeah. Even yeah. using a machine would be like bespoke to mass
2: production standards. Yeah. yeah a, a personal operated machine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I thought uh, Thimble yeah. I thought
1: Thimbles were just a a, a, a fucking monopoly piece, honestly. I, I didn't realize no. that those were still in in <laughs> in vogue.
2: Yeah, they were not in vogue, but they're certainly <laughs> in news. <You> know. Okay, <laughs> but,
1: okay. But, uh, Brian, you're gonna have lot you will have lots of time, but Brian, jump yeah. in and ask
0: uh, one of your questions. Thank God. Um, I want to at 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 risk of uh, of offending you, Tom. I, I feel like I still need to ask this question, so I apologize offending in him, advance.
1: him, dude. We I I said before we started recording, I'm wearing a, a fucking X Files T-shirt, and this man is dressed to the nines. He's been offended since we jumped on this Zoom call. But continue.
0: <laughs> so I I feel pretty naive in asking this, but when I hear um, about the art of the master tailor, and like you talk about, you know, this prestige of like of like the origin stories of coming from Savile Row and like the and and this thing being passed on from generation to generation. I'm curious um what makes the style of tailoring any different than like when I take my pants to a mm. guy down the road who takes far too long to get them back to me, who probably did them with a machine. But at the end of the day I'm still like relatively satisfied with with the the thing that I get in return. Like what makes um what like what makes what you, tailoring what's the special un- ingredient yeah
2: well he i mean look at it this way i mean what he's doing is the same as a shoe cobbler would do he's just fixing it he's fixing the problem whereas a shoemaker will make the shoe from scratch and that's what tailors do bespoke tailors master tailor. i'm a master tailor because uh, i do everything I, I do everything from measuring to making the pattern to making the clothes mm-hmm. and i as well pressing oh wow again. so mm-hmm. Um, whereas an alterations tailor, which is what you're talking about, um, they'll take something that you bring in, you know, alteration tailoring I mean, I don't for any, if there's any watching, alteration tailors are very talented people and it's a it's a skill to be able to alter something that's already been made. I can't personally, I can't stand doing that. I hate mm. I mean I'll alter stuff that I've made because I've made it, but um, I don't alter other people's stuff. But there's that's a the real skill. What we do is we're like I'll take some blank paper and I'll draft a pattern specifically for your body shape um, from the measurements and from my own observations of you. Uh, and so then you get, uh, I should have brought one in really, uh, uh, your own pattern, which won't fit anyone else. Um, so you can take into account whether you've got a dropped shoulder or, uh, or you stoop or you stand more erect or you've got bow legged or you've got mm. um, pigeon feet or screwed out feet, things like that, which you can't you know, none of these things can be really dealt with by taking an off the rack suit and then taking it to mm. a tailor, an alterations tailor. And that's and, why uh,
1: Taylor's suit fits so weird. Cause he has all of those things. Yeah. He's, he's bow legged pigeon toed drop shoulder, uh, drop shoulder, drop, drop foot. Uh, it's, I mean, it, it, the list goes on and on and on. It's, it's really quite staggering. So you really just need to go to Savile Row. I Road. need a
3: bespoke I need, <laughs> need a bespoke, bespoke. I need a bespoke experience. But I I I I I actually I love I love this. I love this because I I have a I I have quite a quite a desire. I'm a I'm a I'm big into cycling. And there is a there's a there's a massive uh scene of bespoke uh like high end bespoke bikes that are made. Like with yeah. titanium that are, you know, they're, they're not made in a mold somewhere. Somebody is, somebody is cutting and shaping mm. the tubes and they're soldering everything together mm. and they're made with, you know, ex- ex- exotic materials and everything is meticulous. And, and, and when, I, when, I, when I think about the difference between buying something off of a rack versus getting something handmade, even if they could both be the same and fit the same and feel the same, the story behind the production of the item is like a huge, like I have a friend who has two bespoke bikes and I just look at them and I go, those are, those are on another level. They're on a, they they carry with it a, they carry with it like a, like a lore to to them that are, that's very beautiful. I suppose as a, as a, as a, as
1: a, as a big time cyclist, you probably would need a bespoke suit because your pant, any pants you put on, just oddly enough are just busting at the busting clogs.
3: busting at the at yeah. the thigh at the mid thigh
1: um so uh, for folks who have never listened to this podcast before and they're just tuning in for the very first time you might think that this is uh, a tailoring podcast um but it's not uh we're, we're just we're just <laughs> deeply fascinated by tom's <laughs> tom's interest and career in in suits um but the the reason we have Tom on the show today is because Tom, you are on the autism spectrum um, That's right. and uh and we actually you know we haven't really dived into autism all that much over the years so i am I'm excited to kind of hear your experience um maybe maybe kind of set the <clears throat> uh just kind of set the uh, tone for us by taking us back to maybe give us your origin story um i I guess uh you know how did you, at what age did you come to kind of realize that you were on the autism spectrum or, or in the very least, at what age in your life did you come to realize that like, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not so much like everyone else in terms of the way that my brain works compared to my peers or what have you?
2: Um, well, as I alluded to earlier on, I'm in my mid fifties. I found out th- about three years ago
3: so, wow! Um, wow! I've
2: spent my whole life thinking that I'm that oddball that doesn't fit in, who's non-conformist. I never understood why. I do now. You know, soon I was on a BBC Radio London yesterday talking about this, and and she said, "So, what did it feel like when you found out?" I said, "Well, everything just felt it like that split second. My whole life just made sense. You know, and I understood exactly why I was treated the way I was. You know, at school, you know, back in the um late 70s and 80s when i was at school um you know a lot of us weren't diagnosed we were put into what was then called remedial classes i think now it's a slightly more politically correct term of special educational needs because autism is a learning difficulty you know Mm -hmm. even though we can be high functioning you know i'm a high-functioning autistic um kind of asperger's or high-functioning autism is kind of where i'm at um and but, um, you know, we would put, it's still a learning um, difficulty, you know, to, um, but I was, you know, really, uh, I just couldn't fit in anywhere. You know, people have said to me, oh, you know, a lot of people, it's only simply because I've never really felt like I fit into certain groups. And so I mm. kind of fit around different groups. So I've got loads of different social spheres that I've always tried to fit into and I couldn't, so I kind of move on. And, you know, um, I mean, I spent the 90s DJing, I'm a techno DJ as well. I not, That's so I, awesome. Yeah. My deck and my vinyl, and uh, and so I did all that, and that was something that gave me something to do that um I didn't really need to interact with other people. I enjoyed talk, all that kind of technical thing of mixing and DJing, Ooh. and uh, so I discovered that. That was great. um I've, and Then I moved on to some other stuff, and it was just always never. I've, no, it's just never fitting in, you know. And as Ooh. I say until three or four years ago when when a friend of mine was diagnosed um we've always called each other brothers we've known each other since we were probably about 18 17 or 18 um and we've always called each other's brothers because we're so similar we we look similar and we act similar Mm. Uh, and um and he got diagnosed and he suggested that i should he pointed out all the things in me that he notices that are the same as him and Mm. his diagnosis so i've done did all the tests and and spoke to my gp and all this kind of stuff and uh and it, we came to the realization that yeah i'm on the spectrum wow. uh, there's, there's a particular test you can do an autistic uh, it's called an aq test i don't know what q stands for now um and it's out of 50 and i score which depends on which way you look at it positive or negatively i scored highly at 45 out of 50 mm. so, <laughs> so quite clearly quite clearly on the spectrum mm. uh, and uh, or the only thing I don't have is the rubber stamp from a psychiatrist. Sure, um, right. But at my age is my sister said to me yesterday. You know, do you really need that at your age now? Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. You're what, not in education, so.
3: What were some of the um, What were some of the things like in when like your earliest mm-hmm. some of your earliest memories of uh, of you know when you're when you're a kid, like when you're a young young kid, you're just you, and then and then your social life starts to develop, and then you realize. You know that there are other people out there, and they act in a certain way, and maybe you act differently. Like, what? What were some of the like early memories of of that realization that you don't really you you don't really fit, or or that maybe somebody said ha, had said something to you that you know was pointing out that you do this, you do that thing, and that's funny or that's weird or whatever.
2: Um, be yeah, honest, I think probably most of my life, really. Um, you know, I mean, I've always <laughs> been. Played- one of the things I am—I mean, autistic people are—can be very blunt, mm. and to the point of, of what neurotypical people see as rudeness, and uh, and that's always been something that's always been. Oh, you're really rude. Why do you have to be so rude all the time? Um, and so I've always noticed that. But you know, when I was at school and just—I've always felt, you know, I mean, you'll hear other autistics say this as well. You know, are we actually humans? You know, we call we call humans humans. Because we feel that we're aliens half the time because we just don't seem to be the same. Mm. Um, I don't know if I can really put my finger on it to be honest. I mean, I've always felt the wrong I've always said I'm the wrong person. Um, you know, but never understood why until recently. Now I know why I'm not the wrong person. I'm just a different person, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, just wired differently. I mean but um no, when I was younger, I just it was just the fitting in thing and just not really understanding you know my social cues are all wrong and um i mean Brian knows with adhd it's it, you you have to kind of like he did with his questions you you have you butt in a lot of the time and it's just the way you are and people think that's rude and it's not it's just where you are you know it's like the mm-hmm. brains work so fast that you have to get things out otherwise the, you'll, you will know, move on you'll forget what you wanted to say i'm like that all the time which is why i understand you know I, people butting in is absolutely fine cuz i understand it completely Two you peas know, in
3: a pod over
1: here. Me too, yeah, yeah. I totally understand it too. I mean, we, we, we uh, when when Brian does that, we uh, we don't think it's rude whatsoever, but we you know, <laughs> certainly love to jump in and, and call it out when it's happening. So <laughs> <Yeah>. in, the, <laughs> we in the hopes that he'll go, oh yeah, right, I, I can wait until yeah. the thought's done. And then it's I hard. can say, you know what? Something came up earlier and i would like to address it now
2: the thing is the <laughs> thing is to, with uh, uh, you have to remember that though that's the problem right exactly you have to, yeah but the, you, have the, to, you know and if you haven't got a notepad then you won't you won't remember it you oh yeah what was that you want to say oh, i don't know i can't remember now can't use a notepad I, i'm trying to thought drifts all the time and I, I, I never know where i am half the time i
1: mean yeah and that, that that's why i have this laptop also by the way Brian, i also have adhd so so do, yeah. I, i'm with you brother Derek i can say it. whatever
3: he wants um, I can say. That I, I can I, I say. Wanted, <laughs> I wanted to ask a couple of questions. Yes, let
1: him, let him in there. Let him in there, Taylor. For fuck's sake. The thing that's hard Stop is
0: trying to derail the boy. The thing that's hard is <laughs> if I don't jump in and butt in, Taylor and Jer are so strong in the way that they ask questions that I can never get a word in. So sometimes I, uh, at the risk Thank of you. being uh, rude, sometimes I jump <laughs> in. But uh, the the thing that I was curious about coming back to the the test, um, can you remember any of the the types of questions that were Ooh. were on that test?
2: Yeah, uh the first time I read the first time I did the test, I scored, depending on whether you are been positive or negative, quite low, about thirty-three, which meant I wasn't probably on the spectrum. But then I realised I'd read the questions wrong because I'm also dyslexic.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I read them, I read them up, up backwards. Oh, <laughs> um,
2: you know, so uh, it's uh, yeah, it seems like can you um uh oh you no, know, I I don't know if I can remember half of them now um it's all can you how's your imagination um can you when you were a kid could you play with your imagination and things like that? when you're like playing with other children and stuff like you know that's mm. found quite difficult to do mm-hmm. uh, you know, i was always in my own head and in my own world um it's uh, um and a lot of this to reading and things like that you know um and I proved that I couldn't even read when I was reading the test. So I was
1: <laughs> Wait, like when um, you, when you, when you got the diagnosis,
2: I've got it here actually. Carry on. But sure. When you
1: got the diagnosis, um, you know, as a man li- living in your fifties, receiving yeah. a diagnosis like that, uh, you had mentioned how like it sort of, it sort of clicked. You went, Oh, right. Of course. Like that makes so much sense. What, what was the feeling after getting that diagnosis? Was there a feeling of relief? Was there a feeling of, of, Um, you know, like we've spoken to a lot of people who like have, have been dealing with, with unknown medical issues for a a period of time. And then they find out exactly what's happening. They get a diagnosis and more often than not, those people feel a sense of, um, like gratitude and relief because it's like, okay, well now at least I have an answer and I have a plan to go forward. I'm not, I'm not in the dark about this thing. So when you got your diagnosis, um, was there, did you feel that relief? And then like, did you, did you think at all about things that you might do going forward to like change, um, the way you went about your day-to-day
2: activities or. Uh, yeah, I kind of realized, um, you know, I think I, I, I um, yeah, like so going back to, you know, like the, the sort of butting in on conversations and, and the rudeness, I think a lot more about what I'm going to say. And I'm not quite so spontaneous in the way I speak. Um, I my brain is worrying a lot to kind of make sure that I mean, some people it's kind of masking in a way. Um, and I, I'm very careful about what I say now, and I'm because I'm aware of it. Um, whereas before you know, I just say stupid things, and people would think, Oh, god, it's him again, like you know, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, and I've lost friends over it. I mean, totally. what yeah. to start with, I don't know because. You know, they this is before I knew, you know, now I know now I can look back and think, Well, yeah, um, we fell out because of that. And I now know why I said what I said. I always used to put it down to my strange sense of humour, and it wasn't, it was just me being me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just things like that. So I can now look back on my life. Um, I spoke to an ex girlfriend the other day and said, Oh, it turns out I'm autistic. She said, Yeah, that makes complete sense. She said, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's just it just allowed me to reflect back on my life and just Ooh. see why I did, what I did. you know, it's like when I was at school, I used to wear a white suit to school. I used to say, "But I've got the school tie on, like you know, and mm-hmm. things like that Nate because I just didn't fit in, and I wanted to make a point that I didn't fit in, mm-hmm. and I consciously did it as well. It wasn't an unconscious thing, you know, um it's things like that, and I, but I can look back now and I can just evaluate everything I've done, and I'd realize. Mm-hmm. Uh, why it just made sense it was a big sense of relief and you know it took a lot of weight off me you know i've always looked through a veil through my life mm. and now everything's a lot brighter and uh and to be honest my anxiety levels have gone down a lot as well because of it mm. and i know i have more coping strategies for it you know because you know when you're diagnosed when you're young uh you get a lot of coping strategies to be able to deal with life and deal with being autistic or Asperger's or ADHD or any of these neurodiverse conditions. Um, But when you've not been diagnosed, you're just seen as a naughty, uncontrolled, nonconformist person. And that's it. And you're not shunned. Well, some people do. Um, But you don't, you're not taught how to cope with it. Mm. Um, Whereas now I can, I've taught myself how to cope with these things. Now I know what they are. Before, I just went through life. You know trying to keep couldn't get jobs couldn't keep jobs uh you know i've always been self-employed because of it you know 80 percent of i don't know about in in canada but certainly 80 percent of autistic people in this country and generally are unemployed because it's so difficult to hold a job down you Mm -hmm. know wow um and if i'd known earlier i might be able to get some more support in that kind of world you know um although i'm happier now that i'm back being a tailor again um that I'm, i can work for myself anyway you know i've always when i was a dj i was working for myself I was a sound engineer i was working for myself um you know so everything i've always done in my life it's always been uh as a self-employed person because i, I ha- can't get on with authority and things you know i find it very difficult understanding people's reasons for why they want to do what they want to do in work like right, as regards to rules and regulations
1: yeah totally totally
3: How do clothes come into kind of like the story of like you looking back and you're growing up and and feeling your way in, and trying to trying to fit in and, and kind of moving around different social social circles and, and trying to find your your place and, and where do clothes fit in there? I mean, obviously, you, you said you're um, tailoring is in your is in your family, um, kind yeah. of like the, 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 the lines run deep. Um, how does that how does that kind of show up in your life as you are growing up?
2: um my mum was um she was a mathematician but a dad handled on a sewing machine so she used to make stuff for me and my sister and uh and she kind of taught me to use a sewing machine and uh, i used to make um uniforms and things for my action men when i was a kid uh, Although i couldn't ever get the collars to sit right um <laughs> but uh, you know but they they had their own their own stuff which was great and i you know I, in back in the day i was a mod and uh and so i wanted to make all my own suits um, you know, I love all the sixties stuff, um you know, so I want to make my stuff, and that's kind of how I became interested in being a tailor as such uh is so I could make my own clothes for because I was a mod, and that's what mods wanted to do was make their own clothes um uh, my um I found an apprenticeship I could do. I wanted to do an apprenticeship at the family firm, um but that was sold when I was thirteen. Don't know why uh no one could ever tell us my I spoke to a cousin recently, she doesn't know. Uh, my auntie would never talk to me about it. My mum would. there's some dark secret. So um, maybe it's to,
3: the, maybe it's the Kingsman. Yeah,
2: well they're Ooh. just down the road. So you know. Um, that's, uh, Wait, hold that's, on. That's, well, yeah, okay, okay. Well,
1: I, I see what's happening here. You're referring to the very fun action movie Kingsman, where there's a lot of tailoring involved, and Lots there's of like, and it's and it's all behind. It's all sort of. It's all sort of masked behind the yeah. behind the shop, but is there actually a tailor called the Kingsman? Uh, in, well, in that they're sort of basing that off of a, like in a silly way. It's, that, it's actually
2: Huntsman's. Um, ah in Savile Row, um, but they've actually got the Kingsman sign outside the shop now. Ah. I was, down there, I was down there yesterday and you got all these tourists taking pictures of it and all right, that, you, know. um, do you Do you, but, uh, do you uh, tailor bulletproof? Green, bullet- uh, green fitting rooms in Huntsman's.
1: Oh, yeah, okay. Do you do you tailor yourself? Do you tailor uh, bulletproof um, bulletproof suits, stab-proof yeah. suits, explosive Well, you suits? know, I'd have to kill you if I told you, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's an
3: MI6 operative, everybody. Can, um,
1: Tom, it's can the thing explain-
2: with, with tailoring, one of the things that people say and clients say to me, it, it does make you feel bulletproof i think that's kind of where a lot totally from, yeah you know because you just like you were saying earlier tyler you know even sorry even though it's like a, uh, an off the shelf that's being tailored for you like altered for you because it, it fits so much nicer you just feel so much more confident oh yeah um, and uh, and but if you've got a true bespoke suit on which has really been made for you um you do, it just gives you like a sheet of armor and you like a and that's how you feel, you know, I've had clients who come in stooping and after a while of wearing a suit, they they come back again, they're bolt upright because they just yeah. feel super so confident in what guys, they're wearing. Guys, that's cool. Guys, you don't want to be wearing maybe, a really
1: nice suit in the wrong part of town. You might get a bit of a, your ego might just get you into a bit <laughs> of a, a bit, a bit of hot guys, water.
0: Guys, maybe, maybe this and like our story arcs is the point where we start, instead of wearing like like shorts and t-shirts, like we always like, yeah. Let's just become maybe, a, like a, an offshoot of Lex Friedman. Maybe we're just gonna start wearing suits all the time. <laughs> I, but uh, I, mean, I guess to that to this point too, um, Tom, can you explain what a what a mod is? I I read an article Agreed. about Agreed. mods <laughs> before, but uh, yeah, dude, mod. this is this is exactly the stuff
2: that I wanted to get. Do you guys into. know what a mod is? I am
1: familiar with the with the term mod. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm not. A, a mod
2: is um, it was uh, a late fifties, early sixties youth culture in Whoa. Britain. Yeah, uh, like had the
1: punks and, and the mods yeah. And, yeah it
2: was like the mods and the rockers Yeah, uh, back in the late 50s early 60s it was started by um, a, a small Jewish quarter of tailors in Soho I believe um, who my mum were actually friends with um, which was interesting and they uh, basically took uh, a lot of styles from Italian films from the 1950s like mm. the Dolce Vita and things like that mm. and they wanted to just dress differently it's like you know, it's like the prep scene in America mm-hmm. back sure. in the fifties where the the kids who went to university wanted to dress differently from their parents. Like all youth cultures, it's wanting to dress differently from their parents, you know. And um instead of stuffy suits, these were cut slightly they these were really differently cut suits. In fact, they took a lot of inspiration from the prep scene as well. Like um, flashy so, colours
0: and stuff too. Or? Yeah, yeah,
2: and sort of like it's quite skinny lapel as well. The skinny lapel stuff comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and sort of hipster trousers and if you think back to bands like the rolling stones they were a mod band originally the who if you look at all their early stuff the way they dressed um the beat was not so much they were more of a boy band but um but it was all sort of very smart and very italian you know we all drove around on i mean i say we because i wasn't around then i wasn't even born until 1966 but um, it was uh, like driving around on uh, Italian scooters, Vespas and Lambrettas, and, <laughs> and it was all that kind of sort of beat music, uh, modern jazz and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, in the 60s. And then when I was a mod in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, when I was at school, uh, we kind of revived a lot of that. But then there were more modern bands, like if you've heard of Paul Weller, there was the Jam. Uh, uh-huh. Which is one of the biggest sort of mod bands. He then we went on to do the Style Council, which is a sort of kind of a mod thing. But it was all, you know, I mean, I've got, you know, this, is a, this is a mod jacket under there. Yeah, oh, cool. yeah. yeah that's sick. That's awesome. Uh, I, uh, also, you know. I,
1: I'd love to know how. <clears throat> so I know that for for a lot of people that um, that deal with autism, um, there is. There's a lot of like sensitivity to uh, sensory processing, um, and as someone who's on the spectrum, you know, the, and and using your your the way you phrase it as like a high functioning um, autistic person, um, do you do you have any do you have any like sensory processing issues like you know whether that be sounds or or like feelings or things that sort of stick out to you that that maybe don't really at least to you know the most people around you, you don't really notice them having any kind of issues with
2: yeah i mean uh light's a real problem for me um too much light and too, uh, the wrong kind of light uh <laughs> it can be really bad i mean i sit here i mean not now because it's daylight but um during during the evenings i've got um multicolored LED bulbs um they're awesome I can change them on my phone to whatever color mm. and so I can change all the colors and it's so much nicer now I've got these um you know it's like I was on the bus yesterday evening coming back from London um, uh, once I got off the train um and it was really bright fluorescent lights and that was just you know I couldn't cope with that when I was a kid you know going back to them, I used to always want to wear sunglasses and my mum thought it was just because I wanted to look cool and you know I was into the fonts mm. and all that kind of stuff you know happy <laughs> days <laughs> and uh, she thought it was all blah, that, but it's not, it's because it really, really did me in. It's just too overwhelming, mm-hmm. it couldn't cope with it at all. So, these are react like glasses, so whenever I go outside, they can darken and I feel so much better. You know, sometimes I wear sunglasses at night because it just i just can't cope with it. The noise is a big problem as well, you know. Too mm-hmm. much, I don't like the underground, you know, the subway in London, um, because it's just too many different noises and i can't mm. cope with it it's just too much coming in um do you wear yeah, earplugs I, no i don't um i don't really like that enclosed feeling either that's the other sure. problem yeah, you yeah. Know? um but um which is weird because i love djing and that's quite loud in clubs right. you know yeah depends <laughs> what, the, what the noise is i've prepared to beats and things I, I i can sit I, I can sit next to a bass speaker all night long yeah quite hard, you know um, but it's high pitch noises I have a real problem with. Yeah,
1: yeah. Does the does the sensory processing issues play into your your work at all as a tailor with, you know, what whatever like like things the in the shop or like them. or the or the feeling of fabrics or anything like that?
2: Uh, yeah, I have a, don't really have a problem with too, with touch too much. Uh, I kind of have an issue with textures in my mouth. I can taste different. I can taste the different thicknesses of water depending on where it's come from. Mm. Uh, which people think is quite weird. Like different different makes of bottled water have different textures to them. I yeah. think I, I think I, yeah. I think I'm
3: with you on that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I had I had
1: someone the other day say something that really kind of blew my mind. I never really thought about it this way, but um, and this is like kind of kind of off topic, but um, the flavor of water is directly tied to its temperature. Yeah. You ever notice that? Like, if you drink warm water versus like crisp cold water, there is a difference in the in the like in the quality of taste there's almost like a there's almost like a difference in flavor if yeah if you can kind of wrap your head around the i think i would notice the, i would
3: notice I, I i feel like i'm i would notice the feeling of the water is different from mm. the temperature
1: yeah maybe that's the better way to put it like the the feel the, the the sort of the the texture quality but i think
0: there is something
1: to like the flavor of cold water versus like <laughs> Do you feel like Fucking it's more flavorful warm? when
0: it's warm or more flavorful when it's cold? I
1: think it's the same amount of flavorful. It's just a different flavor.
0: <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay because yeah. I I find that um, <laughs> like colder things don't taste as intense right, as warm right, things. Right. So like if you take yeah. a cold slice of pizza out of the fridge. It right. tastes very good. Sure. But if you heat it up too, then it, it, it's yeah. even more intense flavors, which is why I sometimes prefer cold pizza. But it's yeah. also
3: like, how do you know what's what? Because when you take, if, especially if you are craving like a cold glass of water, there's so many factors at play that are making you enjoy that water. And so you probably have the idea yeah. that it tastes superior, but it's actually just like a plethora of other th- sensory so, things so that, are, my thought that about- are giving you the, the sense that it's better,
0: right? But the cold water to me doesn't. Um, I personally don't find it tastes better. Sure, I find that it's more refreshing. There's, but the like warm water tastes more potent to me because you. Yeah. Can, I feel like you can taste. I don't know. It feels like you taste like bacteria. Even just the sense it. of
3: it but, being refreshing. <laughs> is there's a, there's a very
0: real aut- um, uh, sort of. Um,
1: Sense of autism within this entire conversation. I, I feel like yeah. I, 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 I think I think this is proof that yes, we all are on the spectrum in some sense because this is a very autistic conversation. I, I, Tom, I have something that I'm curious about.
0: For me, my sensory thing that is really annoying for me is is um, the windows down when you're driving. I like oh, yeah. I love the idea of driving with your yeah. windows down, but the auditory sort yeah. of. The loudness of it is just so. You need to drive with my one window down. Yeah. No. No more. I have, than I have
2: one. air conditioning on. I can't. Can't drive with the windows down. Yeah, you got to
1: drive with your head out of the sunroof. That's right. I that's think that's right, the right. way to, to handle it. That. I mean, so, to,
2: to, having a soft top's different from having the window open. It is, it's, isn't it? It's a mm. totally different uh, sensory experience. I can. Yeah. I can in a soft top. Fine. That's not a problem, drive. But having windows up because of the way the air rushes past the window. Ooh. Totally. Um, is I can't cope with that. It's just it's the wrong it's like it's like intense white noise and I, it's just too much for me. Whereas white noise is generally quite good. Um, I mean I work in silence. I don't have radio on or music on or anything like that. I much prefer working in silence. I can think and concentrate. Mm. Otherwise there's too much coming into my head and I can't concentrate on what I'm supposed to do because Taylor yeah. is quite um, you know, a very precise, which is great being autistic. is a very precise job and loads of detail and attention to it. And uh, but if I have music or anything else on, then yeah. I, I lose all that.
3: So it's like it's it's a it's it seems to be a pretty a pretty big stereotype f- um, for people who uh, live with autism to be to be um, like very particularly fantastic at a thing or or maybe a, a type or like, or like a a range of things that are kind of like within a category and being able to focus very intensely Mm. on, 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 on something in particular. But you also kind of mentioned how it can be very easy depending on like the sensory experience to be very distracted. Um, so you kind of alluded to it just, just there, but like tailoring is so, it is so meticulous and tedious. Um,
2: I don't know about tedious,
3: I guess I guess yeah tedious I guess tedious is a bit of a has a negative connotation to it but meticu- yeah. meticulous I guess would be the yeah. would be uh, would be the better word it is it is so I mean it is so precise and so detailed huh. um, do, you, do you do you identify with that in terms of in terms of now that you know that you have this diagnosis of autism like that capacity to dial yourself into a task and just yeah become mm-hmm. ultra mega focused
2: yeah i get really hyper focused i think that's a combination of the adhd and the autism um is just super hyper focusing on things um you know i can whether i'm uh, researching something or um or working yeah i can get into a very sort of tunnel tunnel vision zone you know in my brain um, and uh, and then at the expense of everything else, you know. So my mum always used to say to me was, you know, you have to do other things as well. We well, didn't know I was autistic. You have to do other things as well. You can't just do this one thing, um, and uh, and at, at the expense of everything else in your life. And that's the that's one of the biggest problems I've probably had. You know, um, I mean, I used to be a cell, I used to be a sound engineer. I used to do a lot of audio editing mm-hmm. for radio and things like that, and um, doing sound designs for films and things like. And I used to play the same sound over and over and over again. And, some, and I used to say, it well, it's because I've got to get it right. And it probably was. But, you know, it's like something that autistic people are like is we listen to the same piece of music over and over and over and over again. I used to listen to one album pretty much all my life. Um, it was a Who album um, until, you know, probably 10 years ago, I was still listening to it. Mm. And I'd just play it to death. But to me, I, and films, I can watch the same film. I can watch it back to back. You know, if if there's something in there that I found really interesting, yeah. Uh, you know, I can hyper focus. I've in the last few years I've learned about mycology, which is mushroom growing, mm. and i fell down that rabbit. I fall down rabbit holes like nobody's business.
1: Yeah, like,
2: yeah. And uh, and then really hyper focus on on that, learn as much as I can in the short space of time, and then move on and do something else. So you know, we learn. Like Asperger's is where you get people who are like super math genius and things like that. You know, because uh, the brain works very well with maths and, and words. You know, Asperger's are much more articulate than autistic people, um, which is why I no, I'm not Asperger's because I'm not that <laughs> articulate.
0: And, uh,
2: you know, so... Um, but then we kind of have big gaps in our knowledge as well, like, you know, so we can hyper-focus on certain things and and then... But we we don't know other things. So it's... Uh, yeah, but yeah, we're tailoring, definitely. I mean, it's good because you need that focus, yeah. really you know, to be able to to do it properly. You know, when you're hand sewing buttonholes and things like that, you know, the stitches I'm doing, you know, nine between nine and sixteen stitches to an inch. Um, you know, depending mm-hmm. what part of the garment I'm sewing, you know. So it's uh it takes a lot of lot of focus, a lot of concentration. I do find I didn't know why until recently, but now I know why. Um it's the way the way it is is because of the autism. But yeah, I've always found I can really super focus on things when I'm working, you know. Um, I, but it's generally the expense of other things
1: yeah i i'm I can't help but think about how um this experience that you've gone through, especially with your like with your age, um, you know fifty years ago, uh, the discussion surrounding mental health um are are extraordinarily different than they are today. Would um, it even
3: would it even have been called autism at that point? I don't know. Uh, yeah, sure. I yeah. think it was
2: in the nineteen forties or something. I mean, Asperger was certainly described in I think nineteen forty four. Okay, um, you know, so yeah, it has, but it's just it's it was not really recognized. I mean, yeah. all right, it's recognized now, but it's, people still don't understand it, and you still don't. You're still fighting a battle. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have problems in jobs because employers you know we might all know about it but they don't want to seem to help and they don't know how a lot of the time you know
1: yeah and I, i i feel like because of your age and because of the because of the ways that these types of things were um viewed or or talked about or not talked about you know decades ago um i i wouldn't be surprised if there are a number of people out there who are very similar to you in that it has taken them the majority of their life to end up at a point where they get diagnosed or perhaps they haven't even gotten that far, but they know that, you know, I've always just felt different and I don't know why. Um, I'm wondering if like, if you yourself, based on what you've gone through and over the last three years of managing um, your, you know, managing uh, autism and, and your ADHD, what kind of advice would you give to someone who finds themselves in a very similar position to you, in their 50s, 60s, or 70s, and and just now coming to realize that maybe they are neuroatypical?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I think you should um talk to friends like good friends, and you know, get them to sort of just point out um things that maybe you, that they think are a little bit different with you. And then um, there's loads of the great thing about these days is we've got the internet, and there's loads of resources on there where you know you can go and read and do some research and and discover more. Some great YouTube channels, in fact, of of people who are older who've been recently diagnosed. Um, you know, and you can learn a lot from that. And as I said there's this test as well, quotient, uh, autistic quotient test. Just remember what the Q stands for, um, and uh, and so you can do that um, and. I think it's good to go and discover it. You don't necessarily, I don't think you need to go and get the rubber stamp, especially you know when you're in later in life in your fifties and, and so on, um, because there isn't the help out there for you if you did have the stamp, um, but there are plenty of online resources you can go to and get and test yourself and speak to your GP and things like that where you can then get the understanding that you are actually on the spectrum <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then you can start looking at ways of just coping with the rest of your life, really. and Just, mm-hmm. everything. but everything just fits into place as soon as you know everything fitted into place, as I said earlier. You know, and I now feel a lot easier with my life. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I still feel odd and still feel the wrong person, but I don't. You know, I mean, when I was younger, um it got to such a point where you know, I, you know, self harm and I would, you know, mm-hmm. question my existence and things like that. And that's a big problem with undiagnosed you know the self harming especially like you know um and so and drug abuse you know, and things because yeah. you just feel wrong i mean you know I, I had a big binge on drugs when I was younger uh of all of all descriptions because it just made me feel better, you know yeah. drug yeah, you know? yeah. at least Jennings were Jennings always always good because it helped me get more into my head, you know and uh and I could understand more about the world and me Yeah. Um, in later life you know now i've been diagnosed things are different and uh, you know i can i can just i just now it's just that understanding you know and it's just to be able to reflect back on your life and and just go yeah all these different points in my life were because of that yeah and it's Mm -hmm. and it's just lifted a big big rock off my head Mm -hmm. you know i just and i think you know if you do feel that you um you might be on the spectrum it's definitely worthwhile Going through some of these online tests, you know, like the one mm-hmm. I've done, um, uh, the quotient test, and just because it just it just makes, and if you've got people in your life around you, it makes their life easier as well. Yeah, they yeah. really understand, or, you and know, and
1: and opens the door for them to to offer you support when. Yeah. You need it, you know, like so that there's more understanding and and less of this, Probably, yeah. like you had said earlier, like people just assuming, oh, well, I guess he's just a rude prick, like. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if you if you have the understanding that this person's dealing with this, then you can you can find that support uh, a lot better. And if I if I'd known, you know,
2: sort of five or six years before I found out, I wouldn't have lost a couple of the really good friends that I thought yeah. I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. But it's also I also understand now that the people who are really close to me are also on the spectrum but we didn't none of us really knew
3: right,
1: uh, but we all right. kind of
2: know now and we, and we all autistic people tend to find each other yeah. in the world you know um which is great you know say my closest friend's autistic I've got another friend who's autistic um if I've got a few friends who are autistic and a couple with my sister's got ADHD mm-hmm. and um you know we, and we all kind of find each other in in the world and come together and mm-hmm. we, we can act normally and behave normally you know friend of mine always to go to school with I didn't know he was autistic. He didn't know I was autistic. Mm. We were just two oddballs at school, you know. <laughs> now we've found each other again. You know, he's come back into my life in the last few years and mm. uh, and it's great. You know, we and we can just be ourselves around each other. Yeah. You know, we don't have to think about being a rude idiot and uh <laughs> yeah,
1: and, you guys should be uh, rude idiots together. <laughs> being loud and you know
2: I can be quite loud. Yeah, you know, when I get really when I get excited about it, my voice really goes up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not excited now. I'm like, <laughs> to speak with a calmer, a calm voice, you know, and a slower voice, because it just helps my brain a little bit more. But you know, mm-hmm. I think people should, if you think you are, I think you should go and not necessarily go and get a diagnosis, but just to just to do it, go on a journey of discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll help you a lot you know, help me. And, speaking you of gotta, a, and you
3: gotta be, you gotta learn to be loud if you're going to try to carry a conversation in a techno club. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um Speaking of, uh, speaking
0: of going on a journey, uh, I'm curious if, if your interest in mycology has any, um, if part of that is, is an interest in psilocybin as well. And if you've, um, tried magic mushrooms. Magic mushrooms.
2: Um, yeah, no, yeah, it was, I mean, you know, it can't be, you know, I have to be honest, I'm autistic. I can't lie. It's very difficult. That's one of the <laughs> <laughs> to um, to lie. I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, you no, know, it was. And, but I also grow. I mean, I grow uh, oyster mushrooms mainly because oh. um, they're really good. But I've got a slight heart issue from stress,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: so my GP wants me to go on statins, and I need to lower my cholesterol. And I discovered mm-hmm. the oyster mushrooms in part of the rabbit hole. I fell down uh, is where statins come from originally. So I eat a lot of oyster mushrooms. Oh,
3: very cool. Um, but
2: yeah, no, I mean, psilocybin is, is, is a great medication, uh, for, uh, for neurodiversity, for any, a lot of mental health issues, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'd lie if I said I didn't, you know, um, we're all growth, familiar I'm in the yeah. UK and yeah. you're not allowed to so, yeah. you know, but there's places I can go in the countryside and people. That's, yeah. right. you know? that's right. Yeah, that's right.
0: I have, I have one last question. Um, before we wrap up, um, which is uh, uh, up for my own personal interest. Single-breasted which is... or double-breasted? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, you can answer that one after this. But but I'm curious, as somebody who's always looking for their next hyper-focus, if I wanted to try to make my own suit um, as a complete novice or beginner, um, what would be your one piece of advice for me getting started?
2: Um there's a great channel actually run by a friend of mine is a saboro Taylor as well he um a guy called Reza, he runs something called the international school of tailoring on youtube and it's free and it's fantastic cool. and you go through it all but the thing with tailoring like all crafts you need to be shown um but if you want to just start you know he it's a great start you know um i mean you could Take something I like could take a shirt apart and then learn to put it back together again. That's a good start, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, but it's there's a lot to tailoring. Um, it's it's quite a complicated thing. It's it's a ten year apprenticeship. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, oh, wow! Wow!
2: And wow! Apprenticeship wow. ten years to, be, to to be at the level I'm at. Um, yeah. You know, so it's a it's a long old process. But his school is his YouTube channel is fantastic, and he really really takes you through all the nitty gritty. Uh, I've got another friend of mine um who's uh, an Irish tailor and Savile former tailor as well and he has a an online school but he charges for his uh it's only twenty dollars a month I think it is but it's uh, so that's a really cool one as well um there's various books around you can you know if you can find the old books if we unbought them all up mm-hmm. um i don't know what it's like in Canada i mean you said earlier that it's kind of in, in Canada, it's it's a dying thing. It, to be honest, it's not. I mean, I've got a lot of interest with a uh, Canadian uh, businessmen that who really wants some English tailoring. Mm. North America is really good for it. You know, so where a lot of our clients come from, to be fair, is North America, mm. uh, the whole of North America. We have
0: to come to you because we don't, there's no, there's few people doing good work here, I imagine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'd have to, we'd have, you know, you'd have to have an English tailor. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are tailors in Canada. If, yeah, you know, just in case it's any washing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of English tailors travel over to North America. Yeah, two or three times a year. I haven't yet. Yeah, I am planning on doing it next year. To be fair, and probably coming to Canada as well. So, I'm but personally. That,
0: but- Really, just interested in like going and buying all the material and like getting the dopamine rush from like being on that adventure of starting and then, you know, and then forgetting, forgetting about yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I mean, That's the other thing out. about is,
2: you know, neurodiversity is we, you know, my house is full of unfinished projects. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Brian spends lots, a, mon- a lot of money on yeah.
3: on, on extravagant <laughs> ideas.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, but uh, I, check, check out the International School of Tailoring, Reza's yeah, well, channel. It's cool. Fantastic. You know, he cool, cool. really takes it from the beginning. of, the stitches you use, you know, to, um, to a finished suit, you know, cool. well, for, for his jacket. He doesn't do trousers at the moment, yeah. but, but that's a great place to start. If you really are interested in falling down that rabbit hole, you know? Well, um,
1: speaking of rabbit holes, um, I, I just want to say thank you, Tom, for taking us down the rabbit hole of both master tailoring and autism uh, this has been a real treat, a really fun conversation. And we're just, uh, so elated that you took time out of your schedule to sit down and shoot the shit with us. So thank you so
0: uh, much, Tom. Cool. Glad you enjoyed it. Hope Tom, it was, I'd uh... love hanging out with you, man. Yeah, this is great. It would be yeah. really fun. Yeah. Uh, next time I'm in England, I'm going to hit you up. He was just yeah, in London. That, yeah. Yeah. We're always,
2: always, always here in Bristol. So, uh, and if I come over to Canada, I'll let you know. I know it's a big place. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's not like the UK where if you come to the UK, we're kind of a 100 or so miles apart from each other. <laughs> yeah. you know, so we, we might be in the ballpark
3: coast. of uh, two, three thousand kilometers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, you've
2: got the same distance as the Atlantic Ocean, you? To get across, <laughs> the country. So, That's right. That's you know, right. I mean, in, in the UK, the, the thing in the UK is we're only 75 miles no matter where you live from the sea. That's it, but, yeah. you there know, you go. That's um, it's, uh, yeah,
1: well, thanks but again. Yeah, dude. Great this problem, you know, fun. If
2: you're over, come and look me up. A hundred percent.
1: And how can people, uh, for people listening right now, if someone's in, uh, in, in England or, uh, you know, thinking of passing through, how can they find you? How can they stay up to date with the work? Not find doing? you directly. Just yeah, find well,
2: you. Well, um, well, I'm based in Bristol, as I said earlier. Uh, I see a lot of my clients in London, uh, but I do like to tell people I do cover the whole universe. So I, I do travel for the price of a couple of good suits. I'll come abroad. Uh but uh I'm on you know the usual social medias. I'm on Instagram, I'm on I've got a fledging YouTube channel myself, uh, and obviously I'm on LinkedIn as well. And if you go to any of the reputable search engines, uh like Google or DuckDuckGo is my favorite, um, then just search Tom Bennett Tailoring. That's Tom with an H T H O M Bennett Tailoring, and it'll bring up all my social medias. So that's how probably the easiest way of finding me. But Instagram's good. Um, I'm always around on Instagram, uh, the apps are always open on the phone. Uh, and then, so I'm doing, I'm going to start doing a, a live YouTube thing, um, about three times a week where I just have a webcam in the workroom, and I'm just working away and people can come and come and sit and watch and Sweet. See what, uh, Very cool. Does that as well, but yeah, I'm on there and I've got a website which has been redone, which is, um, Tom hyphen Bennett at, uh, uh, Tom hyphen Bennett.co.uk. Uh, is my website that's being redone at the moment um but instagram and linkedin are the easiest ways to message me um you know and that's so cool
1: amazing well thank you so much again this has been a real treat
2: cool no it's been fantastic Really, really enjoyed it yeah
1: That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even... Better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is
3: Simple.